Hey Blockheads, this is DM Mitch. And this is DM Neil. We want to take a moment to thank all of you who support this and all other Block Party Podcast Network shows through Patreon. Yes, thank you so much for your support. We also wanted to take a second to tell you about our next stretch goal. That's right. When we reach $400 of monthly support, we will begin a new podcast called The DM Book Club. The DM Book Club will be a monthly released podcast where we have an in-depth discussion on official and unofficial RPG materials, and even some novels. The DM Book Club will have guests just like the Dungeon Master's Block. Every book that we look at, we will discuss from the viewpoint of, you guessed it, the DM. Books will be voted on by Patreon members. So if you want to see this goal become a reality, you can help by heading over to www.patreon.com slash network. Again, thanks for listening and supporting us. And now enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm DM Neil, aka Joe Moniak. Today, we have another Block Party Podcast Network member joining us. We have Kurt Bolin of the Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters podcast joining us today. And we're going to be talking about co-dungeon mastering, dungeon dungeon mastering with at least one other person. It's going to be a fantastic discussion. We hope that you are excited, just like we are, to get into the meet. But first, Neil, before we do that, we have some five-star reviews. So our first one comes from the UK, and it is from Fab Lewis, a DM's delight. Scottish dungeon master and writer for BattleBards here, which already, um, I love this review. I've been a longtime <laughs> listener and have finally gotten around to writing a deserved five-star review for this podcast. The DMB has been an inspiration to me for nearly three years now and has guided me on the path to become a better DM, to challenge myself creatively, and to enjoy the game in so much more depth. In particular, the world building and the real monsters and creation and inspiration, which you had some recently, episodes are a gold mine of imagination. Thanks, DMB. And I would say to that, no. Thank you, Fab Lewis, for listening and for getting so much out of it and giving us this awesome review. Yes, thank you so much. Our next one also comes from the UK, and it is by Jordy33A and entitled Excellent, Funny, and an Easy Listen. Five stars. This podcast is absolutely brilliant. I'm just starting out as a DM and it's helped me think of things from a different point of view and things I'd not even thought of as important. Only on episode 11, but already inspired. Not a bad job for Americans, winky face. (laughs) Much love from an English DM. Thank you so much, Jordy33A. Uh, I'm glad that we are living up to your standards. That's awesome. But with that, we've got only one place we can go from here. Let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flat meat's back on the menu, boys. (laughs) 
So for today on The Meet, we have a special guest, a network-affiliated guest, and it is none other than Kurt Bolin, the Dungeon Master of, again, the network-affiliated show Dungeons and & Dragons and & Daughters, a 5th edition actual play podcast where Kurt is the DM to his twin 9-year-old daughters and the occasional Dave. Hey, Kurt, how's it going? Hi, Neil. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. And just like all of our guests, we are going to do a little bit of an interview section so that we can learn more about you. So first, the ever ambiguous, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm rather boring. It's uh, this this whole podcasting thing and Dungeons and Dragons is a very old thing and a relatively new thing for me. So it's this is this is something I do on the side. This is something I've been doing for 20 years now playing with with my friends ever since I was in high school. We started off in second edition Dungeons and Dragons. Uh we continue playing throughout all the years. We tried a couple of other game systems and then just recently uh decided to get back into D&D and check out 5th edition because it was so monstrously popular that I thought there had to be something that was there with it. And I was very pleased when I picked it up. I loved the the simplicity of it. And it made me want to get my twin daughters, Samantha and Birdie, into it as well. And then I thought, hey, why the heck not? Let's uh, let's record this and put it on a podcast because uh, I don't see anybody else doing this with kids that much these days. So, so there it is. Yeah, I don't think there's... I think I can say with confidence that there's not an actual play that makes me smile more than when listening to yours. Like that's <laughs> that's just so like much. I just constantly have a smile on my face and I'm just like, I don't know what's next. And I think I'm smiling because I don't think you know what's next. <laughs> very very rarely do I know yeah. what's going to be happening next. Um although I I with our show and the story, I say that I could probably be a, a little more heavy handed than I prefer from a dungeon master perspective, mm-hmm. but it's not only am I trying to make it fun for the girls and for the guest players that we have on as well. It's I'm also trying to tell a compelling story with this uh, for, for our listeners too. So keeping two nine-year-olds on track and focused from episode to episode and trying to tell an overarching story is a difficult thing. And so sometimes I don't give them as much freedom as as I would in just a game that we'd be casually having at home. However, the caveat to that is they do have the tendency to perform more. They love mm-hmm. making cracks and jokes and performing for the camera and the audience or what have you, because they think life is just a stage when we do our show. So they do have the tendency to be goofier and more dramatic. Yeah. So you should definitely check that out. But the next question I have is, is there anything that you're currently working on right now that you want the listeners to know about? Me personally, no. The the show takes up so much of of my free time it's if if i could go back in time and tell myself how much extra time Mm -hmm. doing a podcast takes i'm not sure if i would get into it in the first place but now that now that i'm in it i love it it's just it's so time consuming and so I, i i kudos to anyone that takes us on and tries to put a show that's out there so mostly the stuff that that i'm working on is usually other people's projects or other people's shows that um, I'm helping to give a small contribution to um, rather than actually uh, creating a new show or, or some other separate project for myself. Did you want to shout those out though? Sure. Yeah. So like some of the, some of the shows I've been dealing with um, 
is like the, the, I mean, the very first show, uh, Tales from the Fandom. Um, uh, that's, that's a show that, uh, discovered our show relatively recently. And, uh, David Ginsburg is the, is the host of that show. And we mm-hmm. became quick friends, um, after we discovered each other. And he fell in love with our show and the format and the girls that were on that. And he had me come on to his show and we talked about, Dungeons and Dragons. I got to talk about some other sci-fi stuff. I got to talk about Dune on his show, which was a lot of fun. Uh, we also did a couple of other shows. Uh, we talked with, well, my girls talked with a couple of other shows. Interestingly enough, I, most people want to talk to my girls and not to me, <laughs> which I find <laughs> not, not funny, but really, but interesting that having two little girls playing Dungeons and Dragons was was such a novelty and mm-hmm. and, well, and I don't even want to say novelty because that, that's that's almost insulting to use that word but it's it was so unique that people wanted to talk to them they wanted to get their viewpoints their experience on it and having me along was kind of just the icing on the cake and 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 so we did that with uh, Lisa from uh, the podcast of Behold Her uh, we talked with uh, Tess from RPG Cast um, we participated in uh Women in Tabletop uh, Gaming Month, which uh, David from Tales from the Fandom had actually organized and got a whole bunch of people together to uh, to record special app episodes to try and promote women being in, in tabletop games. And Samantha, my my oldest daughter by one minute, who and she <laughs> never lets Birdie forget that. Oh, yeah. She, she DM'd uh, two special episodes for that. And it turned out fantastic. I, I didn't have to help her at all with it. She put it together and she just told a beautiful story um, and was really great at the at the dungeon mastering. And I can't wait to, to have another opportunity to have her have her do it on our show. Um, and then, yeah, I guess yeah, the latest thing that uh, I participated in is uh, I got to actually play a character in an episode on uh, International Podcast Month, which is this month um, that uh, that uh, IPM is going to be releasing just a crap ton of of shows <laughs> going yeah. on this month. So when I say I'm not up to much <laughs> after listing all those things out, I'm I'm not doing much of my own creative work as I mentioned before, but I am trying to to help out and join other people's as as much as I can as my time allows. As someone who edits podcasts and you yourself do the editing for yours, I feel like anytime you guest somewhere, it feels like you're basically doing nothing in comparison to having to edit the content that you're creating. Absolutely. It's just, I just have to show up and have fun. It's yeah. like, it's no work at all. It's, it's less than no work. It's because yes. I'm, it's like, I'm, I'm playing a game and. <laughs> it's the opposite of work. Awesome. So speaking of having fun, we're going to move to our surprise question as we do with every guest. And I actually made this one up special for you. What would nine-year-old Kurt, like what is his pinnacle of Dungeons and Dragons? Since you have two nine-year-old daughters in your show, what would nine-year-old Kurt bring to the table? Oh boy. I'm trying to think back at, at nine years old, what, what I was into. Um, you know, the, I remember at nine years old, the two movies that I probably watched the most and over and over and over again was Willow and the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh my gosh. We're lit. We're practically living. One of those is the same. <laughs> and my addition would be Milo and Otis, but go on. <laughs> so maybe a Milo and Otis style adventure of two buddies, right? Going through a, a fantasy world like Willow, but uh, they both happen to be ninjas or monks in the case of fifth edition D&D. 
This is this is beautiful. I I don't know. I all right, we're closing down. We can't get better than what just happened, folks. <laughs> it's funny that you bring that up because I remember when I first picked up the player's handbook and I started making characters for myself the very first character that i ever made was a monk that was the character class that jumped out at me the most because it was only second edition that was the last time that i actually played a version mm-hmm. of dd they didn't have the monk in that edition and i found out later that it was in first and it did come back later i think i think maybe even in three that they brought it back i think second oh, yeah. edition the one i played was the only one that didn't have the monk class so i so I find it interesting, especially bringing up Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that that would be the class that, that jumps out at me the most. Yep. That's awesome. So with this amazing adventure set up with Milo and Otis as monks going through the story of Willow, <laughs> I feel like the only way that we could accomplish that would be by co-dungeon mastering. That's just a terrible segue into <laughs> the topic at hand. And that is, in fact, co-dungeon mastering. So we wanted to bring you on and kind of talk through this idea, ways to do it, maybe pros, cons, just kind of freeforming what comes up. And I think the way that we wanted to structure it was different ways that you could approach it and kind of how to go about that. Um, so did you want to bring one up first or I can bring us into it either either way works? So the reason why I like this topic so much and, and I wanted to talk about it is because I've tried it a number of ways and it's it's only ever worked out once for me. So I am very interested in talking this out to see if I could pick up some tips in other ways. So I'm going to bring the table the things that you should not do with, okay. with co-DMing. That, that's great. Well, I've definitely seen it used and used effectively at my own table, at conventions, and in just anecdotal stories from other people. So let's start off with the idea of essentially the division of labor, if you will, is one person is doing a majority of the role playing and the other person is handling the combat. And that's kind of the co and the co-dungeon mastering idea is that one is taking one and one is taking the other. So have you had, apparently we'll start off with you. Have you had a bad experience with this idea? I. Uh, that's an interesting idea. So, so just to clarify, in in the scenario that you just described, you, there's two people that are both DMing all the time. It's just one of them is taking on certain aspects of the dungeon mastering, and the other one is doing the more mechanical, uh, technical uh, heavy lifting. Is that right? Correct. Yep. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I I haven't encountered that before. Um, I could see that being, I could definitely see that being, uh very advantageous, um, especially if you have two folks that do want a dungeon master, but their interests lean more towards one or the other. Where, where have you seen it successfully? I mean, it's like, is it typically with a, with a larger table that you did do the division of labor and that how it seems to work out? Or is it just they gravitate towards whatever interests them? So typically, you know, and a lot of this will be anecdotal and, you know, and circumstantial and everything like that. So hopefully we can give tips that work for anyone listening. But for me personally, this was used when I had one of my younger players take the role of a DM for the first time. Uh-huh. And his dad was co-dungeon mastering with him because he had a much stronger handle on the rules and how to, you know, grid combat and doing everything like that. Whereas for 
Yoin, for him, he was more interested in being able to tell the story and bring us along. So then those two work together. But going back to what you had mentioned is oftentimes I see this when someone's like, yes, I'm really good at combat. Like I'm, I've essentially, I could rule lawyer you into the ground if you wanted. <laughs> and the other person is like, I couldn't care less what the rules are, but I have this rich story to tell, but I do want engaging combat and mm -hmm. two people kind of interacting on that level. I could also see that being an advantage for the players as well, that if it is someone that is new to the dungeon mastering chair, trying to keep the action flowing along and moving along as quickly as possible, just so that players aren't sitting there watching their, their DM page through a book or trying to check the rules. Um, although depending on the mix of the, of the table, I'm sure that there's, there's people that would be okay with that, or at least just flubbing the rules for a moment or just glazing over them to keep the story moving along. I, I could see that being advantageous if you know that you have a couple of rules lawyers that are sitting down as players at the table that, that won't let any deviation from the rules fly. Mm -hmm. And I think this one, this one might take up a majority of our time because I think it does start to fit into a lot more of those because you had also mentioned, oh, would this happen at a much larger table? And I think that that's another kind of scenario you could get into where you have a larger table where one is kind of handling the story and maybe not just combat, but if we adjusted the idea that someone is handling, air quote, the rules. Mm -hmm. So if there is that side conversation that needs to happen, it happens with the second DM and the first DM is still continuing the story with with the other people. Right. Or trying out a new game system. That sounds like that would be a, a perfect setup that if you wanted to bring someone mm -hmm. in that, you know, is a really fantastic dungeon master, tells a great story, great narrator, great character developments. But they don't know the mechanics of whatever tabletop game it is that, that you're playing, but you want them to be able to participate and not slow anything down. I can see that being a great combination into a new game like that. So the other thing with that, I guess, is a little bit of a a con is definitely figuring out where you have that division and making, and this is going to be true of literally everything else. I think we say <laughs> is that making sure that that division is working for everyone at the table, be it the two dungeon masters as well as all of the players, making mm -hmm. sure that there's not ones taking over way too much. So then the other person is basically just sitting there and, you know, making sure that that divides evenly. That's always been my biggest challenge whenever trying to do uh, co-DMing on, on any game. Um, and we tried a couple of different formats of switching off, uh, one being full-time, the other one being part-time, or each just taking a part of a particular story, or even one of us taking over uh, particular areas and being just the subject matter expert on this geographical location of a campaign. Mm -hmm. And so, so I'm sure that we'll probably get into all of those topics and talk yep. about Little bit. those things. But the, the point that I, that I want to make is like any situation that we got into, the thing that I struggled with the most was the division of labor. And so it's just from my past experience, it's like whoever it is that you're going to be getting into co-DMing with, you need to make sure that you do feel really, really comfortable with them. And, and I think that you need to make sure that the boundaries are pretty clear on where the lines are driven, or where the lines are drawn on who does what. Cause if you're not clear about that at the very beginning, I think there's going to be a little bit, of, there could be a little bit of resentment that ends up at the end of someone doing more work than the other. Um, and just, and as soon as someone stops having fun, then it's, it's not worth it. It's like you, you need to stop figuring it out because that's the whole reason why we do this. Definitely. And I think that, I mean, you had kind of mentioned it and to segue into our next kind of setup, 
part of it is definitely, I mean, there's some level of difficulty for people to give full player agency over. That's completely out of the window if you're having someone else full-blown run the game. Like the your willingness to give the keys over and get ready for the ride has to be pretty far up there to be able to code Dungeon Master with another person because they could take the story in a direction that you're not expecting. I mean, more so than if it's just your players trying to do that. Right. Because you can just kill them. So <laughs> Yeah, you got it. Yeah. If you if you take that route of completely handing over to someone someone else, you're you're giving your baby up for adoption. That's that's it. You have to let them mm-hmm. take it over. Cause if if you're not willing to to give that up, then again, you're gonna run into another situation, I think, that of where there could be hurt feelings, some resentment that's there, and and one of you is gonna stop having fun with it. And it's just be prepared for, for, for doing that sort of thing. And it is harder than I ever thought that it would be of handing the keys over to someone else to take it over. Because it's like as badly as I wanted to play a character in this world that I created that I started with this, this other DM and I handed it over. It was like almost immediately like, nope, don't, nope, don't like this. Don't like where this is going. <laughs> Yeah, you can just feel your body tensing. So an interesting way, and I've heard it used in um, some actual play podcasts, where one DM has the fairly traditional role as we think of it. You know, they're running the story, but the second DM plays all of the NPCs. I heard about that one recently, and I think it's a really novel idea. I really, really like that 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 concept a lot because I think it does get into. Well, it kind of goes back to some DMs or some players, they're, they gravitate cer- towards certain aspects of the game. And having that kind of a setup really gets someone to focus on just the DM aspect of it. But if you have someone else that likes to DM but also likes to play characters at the same time, it's like, boom, best of both worlds right there. They get to create all the NPCs. They get to develop them. They're going to be around for a while. They're going to be flushed out. Well, I would hope they'd be around for a while. Yeah. <laughs> they'd get flushed out, and so then that person could control how they develop as characters and so they would get kind of their their player character fix in there and also their dungeon mastering as well definitely and it all depends on how the story is going and you mean in that scenario you can feed back and forth on each other how much how much you want or i mean as the dm you also i mean i kind of lean towards this one only with the idea of you get to be surprised a little bit more than normal because you know I mean, let's say i have you play the npcs and i'm like okay you're a shopkeeper that's it like maybe that's all i give you and you just run with it and right. then i'm get to experience the players interacting with you as the shopkeeper right then and there and maybe it's you have this magic item or you need to give them this quest but literally nothing else mm mm-hmm. mhm yeah, I, I I love the idea. I'm I'm in love with it. And I can't wait to try it out. So one of the one of the examples we had was Devin Rue, who is the map mistress. Definitely go check her stuff out. She made a map for the world the forum created, Dayin Bay, and is just absolutely amazing. But she couldn't attend as often as she wanted, so she worked with the DM. And basically, when she could attend, she was an NPC, and she'd actually dress up in character, stay in character the whole time, and just pretty much turn it all the way up to 11 uh, the professional npc yeah it's mm-hmm. fantastic yeah I, I i yeah i think i did hear that episode and that was that's where the the concept of it i got introduced to on oh, that nice. and so that maybe start looking up a little bit more it's just it's such a fantastic idea um and I, I think it's even better that they sort of just stumbled onto it that they didn't it just 
organically came out of their process about aligning schedules and, and getting people to show up so that they were able to be innovative and adapt and come up with a system that worked for for everybody, I think ended up probably being a better experience for everyone than they oh, yeah. than it would have been when they initially started. All right. Yeah, I would definitely imagine. And you know, kind of dipping into the potential pitfalls, you know, if you have this truly amazing NPC that is established, you know, then you you are kind of beholden possibly to making sure that that DM is there every time. Because, I mean, I would... I guess that's also just my personal fear of the idea of, let's say you make that shopkeeper and it is pretty much the most beloved NPC ever. I would hate to have to then try and like play second fiddle and attempt to be the NPC that you as the co-DM had created. <laughs> I, I particularly like this concept of co-DMing when it comes to getting more people to try dungeon mastering because it, it feels like at least from from my experience it seems like the most people is not coming up with the story or with the adventure it's it's the npcs that they have the most trouble in flushing out it's making characters that are interacting with the other players at the table that seems to be the thing that folks struggle with the most when they first tr start trying to get into into dungeon mastering so i could see that being a great segue to get them to try it uh, because more people need to dungeon master it's just there's just not enough people out there that are willing to do it yeah and this is as good a place as any to kind of talk towards that you mean i had mentioned it as you mean someone being not as comfortable so then co-dming and i think that's a great way to just offer it up to your players potentially is does anyone want to dm and maybe you're afraid but i'll step alongside you to like that first time out what do you think you're weak in i'll cover that while you do the rest just to get your feet wet and actually experience being on the other side of the screen i mm -hmm. think is a really a really great idea to throw out to your players because if someone else does it, then that's how you kind of get a break. I'm just throwing it out there. We all need breaks to like <laughs> re refuel our creative juices. And that's kind of where the idea when I used it was that's essentially like if I kind of get to the end of an arc and I'm feeling like, yeah, you know, maybe I need to you know, take a session or two off, then I'll have someone else step in and take the reins. That's primarily the scenario of co-DMing that I'm the most experienced with. It is we've had the same group of of guys that got together the game for for years and years and uh we would it would just be me and one other person in the group that would switch off dungeon mastering mm -hmm. um and there, there's yeah you do need to recharge the creative juices need to be replenished because there's only so many years that you can go being the the dungeon master for before <laughs> before you need a break definitely so speaking of places we could go see now that's not a bad said segue yeah, it was. It was still bad. So <laughs> for the next idea, and you had brought it up as well, was the idea of, and we're going to throw it in the Wayback Machine, of old computer games. And you go to a new area and it says, please insert disc two, because that's <laughs> where that area is on. And you have to insert the new CD, load it up, and then you can start being and adventuring in that area. But you had mentioned essentially someone is, let's say, extremely proficient at this area of the world. So then they take over the dungeon mastering because they know all about the history, about the people, about the quest, about everything. And so it kind of just switches off based on where you are in the world that you're adventuring in. I, yeah, it's I, there's a good analogy, disc two. Um, I also like uh, the idea of it uh, 
keeping with the video game analogy of it's the it's the new quest hub that you've just discovered in the mm-hmm. world that you're playing in. Because while it's still connected to everything else that you've done before, the other dungeon master can take over the new characters that are in it, in that area, all the new quests and all the new different ways that you can you can go go from there. Um, that one that's the mode I'm I'm a big fan of, but I that's one that I haven't been able to I haven't I've, I've done it once, loved it. And I would love to get more experience with it because it's from a dungeon master's perspective, a full-time dungeon master. I feel like that's probably one that's the easiest to hand off to someone else because mm-hmm. overall you still have main control over the, the overarching campaign and, but you get to hand off this large chunk that sits inside of your overarching campaign. So handing the keys off to someone else, I, I think that's probably the easiest one from a DM perspective to just hand that over to, you know, to the 16 year old that just got their license. <laughs> your insurance rates just went up and it's like, yep. and God help them if there's a scratch on that thing when they bring it back. <laughs> oh, that's so good. The, you're not getting your deposit back. The, <laughs> the other thing is, of course, the, the potential pitfall with this one is, if the players start to be in one area for too long, I mean, is, is the first thought in my mind. If you think about the idea of a large dungeon, theoretically, a, a, a theoretically a set of players could stay in the same dungeon for a week's worth of game time and it be two years outside because you just keep playing in that single dungeon. So then that would be definitely going back to that going back to the conversation of back and forth and who should take over when and those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, that could definitely happen. Um, I, I think that's a that, that would be an easy thing to get around because I think it, it it'd be so easy to just to change the story or change the dungeon, if you will, a little bit in between adventures to get to get the characters out of there and and back onto the larger story or the larger campaign that that needs to happen. Uh, so, but I, yeah, for something like that though, it just you need to have open lines of communication between the the dungeon masters about. Um, either time boxing it of how long they're going to be there or at least getting it to a certain point in the story. And that's when it's going to be handed back over to, to the other person. So it's, you know, and, and that's something that could come out of it organically as you're playing. Um, but it's, I would suggest is not a bad idea to establish that at the very beginning. So you don't have that pitfall. Yeah. So another one, and this is one I've definitely seen more at conventions, but also seen in longer play formats, is two tables, one story. So you're essentially co-dungeon mastering because this table is trying to do the same quest that that table is. Do they work together? Do they end in a terror in a terrible bloodshed? Who knows? But essentially, you're in the exact same world and you're you're doing things that you know. Let's say I'm running a table and they go through and they get to a town that's besieged by goblins. They decide, you know what? We don't care. We got a bigger we got bigger fish to fry, and then. Your group comes up later and finds a town that has been potentially ransacked and razed to the ground. And you know, and so the choices that one makes affects another, back and forth, so on, so forth. I, I loved the concept of two simultaneous tables, although I'd be, I, I would struggle with how I would actually implement it in, in my real life. It feels like it's something that's it's, mm-hmm. it's better for conventions where you have access to a, a lot of players uh, all at once. And it's, I could see that format being exponentially more difficult to run over a, a long campaign. So I could see that being, not to say that it's impossible, but I could definitely see that that's much easier to run for a one shot or just a couple of adventures. 
Yeah. And and so where I have seen it is Maze Arcana, where both Rudy Rutenberg and Satine Phoenix were essentially running on back-to-back nights streams that were existing in the same world. And if memory serves me well, they were both in Chult kind of going through the Tomb of Annihilation at the same time. Mm. the the storyline and you know, having seeing the interactions of the two or the causes and effects and then i can't remember if they brought the groups together but some amalgam of that and like you said though it it needs to be pretty structured to make it work well unless it is you know and it's either very structured or i think very free form you know one one concept similar to that that i've been i've been toying around with um and i'm because I'm, i've been trying to figure out how to get that concept to work in in my real life where a where just the logistics of having so many people in my house at one time play, playing mm-hmm. a game, especially over a long period of time, was that I, I thought of the idea of having two tables that through attrition of the characters dying or running off or retiring or doing something else, they just they leave the adventuring life. Oh, and okay. eventually the table gets whittled down to the end game table with the players that are are still left and alive. So trying to take a very, very realistic kind of gritty type of view on it, because I mean, in all reality, an adventurer shouldn't live that long <laughs> it's yeah. a very dangerous lifestyle so i imagine that if you have a lot of people starting out with this it's just over time and naturally it's just people are gonna they're gonna die they're gonna fall out but a downside to that is that you'd have to have a group of players together that are okay with dropping out randomly and not showing up anymore and i'm i know some people that would probably be they'd be all for it because they'd love the finality of it they would love just the 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 edge of your seat the tension that would yeah. go along with something like that because you never know this could be the last adventure that you get to play with this character oh man and so it's so that's something that i've been rolling around and kicking around in my head to see if i could if i could get that to work but it's like i think you'd have to get enough players together for it and you'd have to get the right players together to to pull something like that off and i just yeah logistically i don't know if i have that yet yeah well, that's definitely that's definitely another thing to throw. The logistics of this are definitely much more than being a single dungeon master. But I think that if it works, I think it could be really amazing. I think one of my goals, and hopefully I can do it soon, is to actually run a table or you know, run a table where someone is simultaneously ro- running another table, and whether they are friends or foes, that would ultimately need to be seen um, in play. But is definitely a logistical nightmare uh, at times. So I have one idea that I literally thought up on the fly, and it took me a second to figure out what it was called. But have you ever heard of the West Marches style of campaign? No, I haven't. So basically, it's kind of the idea that there's, let's say, 10 to 14 or you know, some higher number of players. And it's basically on the players to schedule and get the group together. And it could be any of those sets of players. And then they just run inside that open sandbox world. And so then it could be one DM with these sets of players, that same DM with a different set or a different DM with the same set. It could just kind of whatever mix and whatever organically happens in the world with whatever players are able to get together. Hmm. Interesting. So the so in that this kind of scenario, if I'm understanding it right, then this is kind of a way of making the dungeon master as objective as possible. That they're really just there to to enforce the the rules, or or maybe not even that far. They they're just there to to make sure things don't fly off the rails, I guess. Yeah, basically. And then you're right, and that's part of the scheduling process is finding out who's going to run the game. 
Hmm. And so it's definitely a very open, very, very open idea to co-dungeon mastering because you're in kind of, I think basically anyone that's willing to dungeon master is going to be a dungeon master in the world. Right. Right. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, I think, yeah, you'd really have to trust your players with that um, mm-hmm. and, and being able to, to stay true to playing their characters and, and, and playing the game and making sure that, that everyone is, is having fun. I could see some, even, even, Gosh, I wonder even if rule, rules lawyers would actually be a benefit in that case because typically they don't let anybody get away with anything. Yep. <laughs> but I could see uh, metagamers or power gamers that uh, if you had a couple of those that, that were in your group, that could be a difficult thing to let them free in uh, in a sandbox and, and see yeah. how that turns out. Although, actually, on the flip side, that, that could turn out extremely interesting and fun at the same time to see how far they would take it (laughs) so that's definitely yeah definitely one to do a lot of research on prior to implementing that so i think we're we're kind of coming up on our time but the question i have towards you because i've used most of the examples i have are there any other specific examples that you have of maybe what not to do Oh boy, things what what not to do. Um, you know, I I kind of touched on this already, but it's just setting expectations at at the very beginning. So this is more along the lines of what to do based off mm-hmm. of my experiences. Okay, good. Is setting expectations at the very beginning with whoever it is that you're going to be co DMing with. Um, it's the it's the best thing that you can do for for the for the planning of it. Um, and then it also it's make sure it's someone that you trust to be a dungeon master with this. It's um if if they and if they had the tendency to do things more by the seat of their pants or if they had the style of they do lots of planning and lots of documentation beforehand make sure you're comfortable with their style that they're what their prep work um because they may run a game just fine but because they don't have things detailed detailed out in the way that you like them to be that can be hard so is make sure that your styles work together make sure you know where the boundaries are who's responsible for for what and I think it also does help to establish establish a hierarchy as far as the dungeon masters are concerned. That if there is ever, even as you can be as clear as possible at the very beginning and setting the boundaries around it. And if there's some sort of executive decision that needs to be made about the way that the game is run, someone needs to be at that figurehead. So you should establish that at the very beginning, that someone needs to make the call. And once that call is made, that it, it, it stands. Because otherwise, then you just have people arguing with each other and... Um, you just want to make a decision, keep playing the game and having fun. I like it. Tons of good advice and trying to think of what could possibly be my final piece of advice. I think, again, I think you really need to toss this idea out to your players and see who might bite, because I think there's probably one or two players in your group that are too afraid possibly to dungeon master for X reason. And if you're willing to say, hey, I'm here, I'm willing to sit next to you, I'm willing to support you in this idea because I want you to have that experience and who knows, maybe create your own group. I think just tossing it out there. And if you get no one, if no one bites, that's literally the worst thing that could happen is (laughs) you tossed it out and no one, no one was interested, but at least you tossed it out there. So that's, I think that's all I've got, but I have the most important question. 
I always frame it that way. Where can people go to listen to your voice more if they wanted to <laughs> here on the internet? They, well, they can hear my voice, my voice, but more importantly, they can hear my daughter's voice on Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters um, at uh, DungeonsDragonsDaughters.com. That's our main website. We're on all the, so- well, most of the social sites. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. One, We're on Instagram. Our, uh, our handle is typically at Daughter Dungeon. And we're also on YouTube. We do video recordings of all of our podcasting sessions. And uh, uh, funny enough, that's that's the aspect of it that my girls are the most interested in. It's it, it's funny. They, they love hearing about the podcast and 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 how many people have downloaded and and what comments and ratings that we've got on it. But they're mostly interested in YouTube and and watching the videos that are on there. And I I find that funny as I'm getting to the age where it's like, is this a generational thing of where they unless it's on YouTube, they don't want to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I I have definitely had old men feeling conversations of like, why would you just listen on YouTube? Why wouldn't you do? Okay. Nope. I don't understand. And I accept that I don't. Yes. So, but one last thing, and I don't mean this to sound like adversarial for, for anyone that that's listening, but my nine-year-old daughter can dungeon master and she did it after only going on like two or three adventures and she just dove into it. And she did great. So if anyone is out there is apprehensive ab- about doing it, it's don't worry about it. If an, if my nine-year-old daughter can do it, then anybody can do it. Done. And with that piece of advice, Kurt, I just want to thank you again for coming on and spending some time with us. This is, oh, you're very welcome. This is so much fun. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Neil. <laughs> oh, thank you. And now to the mailbag of holding. But they've been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? On today's mailbag, we have an email from The Absurd DM, and they're asking us about a paladin. But not just any paladin. A paladin that follows someone outside of, like, the traditional Heronius or Moradin or something like that, like, getting outside of those lawful good confines and, like, what is the essence of being able to go be a paladin for someone else? And they just wanted to do this in a campaign, but no one was ever interested. And so I think it's just kind of asking, like, how to go, I think, advice on how to go about that or, in a way, I guess, convincing others that it's okay. So what is your first thought when I say a paladin that is not lawful good? I think probably the absurd DM, as he points out in his um, email to us, is coming from a 3.5 edition stance where I believe that there were actually set rules in the book not allowing for certain alignments and gods to be paladins. And I think to me, like... The observed DM is saying, oh, I'd, I'd like to do this. I'd like to branch out and have this happen. Can Why why couldn't we do something like this? To me, I would say, especially if you are running a homebrew world, but you're running a home game, it's your game, who can be a paladin? That's completely up to the DM and the creator of the world. You can have all sorts of different paladins. You can call them different things if you want. Like I know 3.5 had anti-paladins and um, things to fill in that gap to say, oh, it's not a paladin, it's this other thing. But really, in the end, that restriction is completely just based on the DM who decides those restrictions. 
So if you as the DM say, I'd like to branch this out, then by all means, branch it out. Yeah, and my, I mean, my go-to, I mean, if you're having a big discussion and you feel that there needs to be some concessions along the way, I think one of the ways to frame it is the idea that the paladin is not just this holy champion. I, I think the key word there is champion. And so let's say you choose someone else like St. Cuthbert is one of the other examples, then your character could be beholden to that exact alignment of the deity as a champion of them and focusing on that. So you still have that alignment restriction, but it's based more of the person you follow than just it can only be lawful good or nothing else. So that's one way to give concessions if it is if it is turning into like a larger rules uh, discussion at your table. Also, I would make chaotic evil paladins and then just frustrate everyone. But that's just me. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, hopefully that information is helpful for you. And thank you again, The Absurd DM, for writing in to the Mailbag of Holding. We just want to thank Kurt again for coming on and spending some time with us. And of course, coming on and joining our network and bringing with him an absolutely amazing show. And if you keep on listening, you will hear more from the rest of that crew. And it is another amazing episode on its way. But if people wanted to get a hold of us, Mitch, how would they do it? You can send us an email at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Send us an email if you've ever successfully co-dungeon mastered with someone and tell us about maybe if you have some tips and tricks or just a story for us. If you like our show and you like what we're doing here at the Dungeon Master's Block, then please take five seconds of your time. Head on to iTunes and give us a five-star review. We will gladly read it on the air and give you a shout-out if you do. And if you wanted to, definitely head over to Twitter and follow us at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And of course, like us on Facebook and you can keep track of us and follow all the things we post and all of the wonderful information that we have. But with that, our Patreon shout-out of the week goes to... Scott Myers. So thank you, Scott, for being a bronze dragon and helping support us and helping us give more information to the masses. Yes, thank you so much, Scott. The Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Check out other shows like Geek Wars, Detentions and Dragons, and of course, Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, and more. But that's it from us here at the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all of the other people at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch, reminding you to keep on Dungeon Mastering. Um, I was going to make a joke. I'd be like, it's not Mike. It's not Seth. It's Scott Scott Myers. Myers. (laughs) No, I know. Mike Myers. (laughs) Seth Myers. Mike Myers. Uh, (laughs) Oh.